I love that song, and I love what it, what it says and what it means to behold him. That's what we are meant to do, right? And, and I, don't want to t- I don't want us to take that for granted. We can know our Savior. We can know our Rescuer. We can behold him. Today we're going to look at a period of biblical history that often doesn't get talked about a lot and, and taught on where it was, it's, also, it's known as the silent years where God was not speaking as he had spoken before. He wasn't speaking in a prophet. He wasn't sharing with the world uh, or with Israel, his even people for 400 years in the way that he had before. In many ways, they felt as, this, as if they couldn't behold their God. They couldn't know who he was. They, they didn't have any fresh revelation from them. They didn't know what he was doing. They didn't know when he was coming. They knew that the Messiah was promised, but they, they, they didn't see it. They never saw the evidence of it for 400 years. But friends, you and I, may we never take it for granted. May we never get complacent with it or okay with just how things are and the status quo. You and I get to see Jesus face to face through the Holy Spirit. Jesus came, died, rose again, and that's what we're going to celebrate next year. We're going to throw a huge party to celebrate how awesome Jesus is in his resurrection. And he did that because he wanted to rescue you and I. He wanted to give us face to face Beholding him. And so when we sing a song like that, I know it's new. May we not just sing the words and miss out on the meaning that we can behold our God. We can see him. We know him and he loves us. And we can be rescued. We behold Jesus. And I pray that we walk out of here today and say, we saw Jesus today. We encountered the Savior today. We're going to be in Malachi and then in Luke today because we're going to look at kind of these moments just before and after this period of 400 years. See, what happens is we oftentimes we turn the page from Malachi to Matthew and we, we don't realize, I mean, it's a simple turn page. For us, but these 400 years took place. To call it the 400 years of silence is kind of a misnomer because a lot was happening. A lot. What just wasn't happening is that God was not speaking in the way He had been speaking up until that point through prophets. To, to send a, a man with a specific voice, a specific message from God to the people of God, that was not taking place. If you think about it, 400 years is a long time, right? 400 years is, is a long time. I mean, our, our country is younger than that, right? 400 years, God was silent, uh, quiet, not speaking in the way he had before. As we consider what the Lord is doing in this time of quiet, because it, it, he, he, though he's not speaking, he's working, I think it's important to realize ourselves that God is at work even when it seems he is quiet. Rescue is still available when we don't feel God is speaking in our lives, when it seems God doesn't care 
He really does. I think in our world, it's very easy to think, man, what if, why would this happen? Why does this happen? And so we could, whatever this is, we can assign many things to that. Let's just, let's just do one of those things that's like in, in, in the world every day, and, and I hope we haven't gotten used to it, but the war in Ukraine, right? And so we may think this horrible thing is happening in our world, right? Why? Why is God not intervening? We might, we might ask those questions. And I think what this period of time helps us to see that a lot is happening in 400 years, and God doesn't stop working. His rescue plan isn't thwarted. His, his, he, he's still bringing this to bear. He's still making this happen. This rescue plan of salvation through the Messiah, through Jesus Christ, is still going to come to bear. But it seems like, where is God? What is he doing? Where, why isn't he working? We may look at things in our own countries that we, uh, our own country that we disagree with or we bemoan or we are very concerned about. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be concerned, but do not allow those things to make us question whether or not God is God and God is working and rescue is available and rescue is coming. It's very easy for us to get sidetracked and sidelined but all that's happening and forget we know the one who controls it all we know the one who has it all in his hands and he is the one on whom we must focus the most because though it may seem like he is not working and doesn't care because of how rampant things seem to be that is not true he is Working and he does care and rescue is available. So let's go from this idea of broad and general to our own specific lives. When struggles happen, when death is on the other side of the door, when pain and suffering affect us, not just in a broad, general way, but in a specific way in our own lives. It's very easy for us to think, why would God allow this? Why would this happen? And it can be easy for us to think, he doesn't care. But friends, let me help you see, and let's look throughout Scripture and biblical history to see that God does care. God does rescue and he sees you and knows what's taking place and it doesn't mean that he doesn't love you it means that he's working in spite of the things that are happening in our lives we're going to take a look at the place uh, the peace that God promises in Malachi and then we're going to turn over and look at the culmination of his work during this time of 400 years, 400 years, specifically in one man's life as he encounters Jesus. All the while we'll consider what took place in the seeming silence that prepared the way for rescue. Thus understanding what happens in our lives because God has a plan for us to be rescued as well. Look in Malachi 4, 5 through 6, and what we see in this passage is our first point. Because of God's rescue plan, even when silence is deafening, 
peace is coming. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. God, through the prophet Malachi, says this. Look, I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. So we're going to begin in Malachi 4, 5 through 6 to see the final promise from God to his people uh, in the Old Testament in this time between uh, that uh, that begins this idea or this time of silence, this intertestamental period that oftentimes is called. We're going to see the final thing that God promised them. He left them with encouraging words that someone was coming and someone would bring peace. So God is promising peace to his people. He's promising this opportunity for them to understand uh, reconciliation and and joy and uh, beauty and all of these things coming about. He mentions this idea of fathers turning to sons and sons to their fathers. And what this does, this, this this signifies peace. It's, a, it's a, uh, an often used word picture in that culture that would give us an understanding that peace would be made because of this promise and because of these things that, that God was going to do through who is called Elijah here. That peace would be instituted by Elijah. And this Elijah is the prophet, or at least the spirit embodied by the prophet. And when I mean that, it's not like Elijah's spirit would come and rest on someone. It just means that the spirit of what controlled Elijah as he was the prophet would be given to someone else. And what we see is that this took place. This promise came to fruition. This promise happened. And I think at least in part is fulfilled in John the Baptist. I want you to see how John the Baptist is described by Jesus and is prophesied about as well. Look at, uh, we'll look at Matthew 11. You can turn there if you want. I would, you might, it's going to be real quick, so you might just want to stay where you are and make a note to look at it later. But this is what it says. For all the prophets, and this is Jesus speaking, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come who has ears to hear, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus is saying, John the Baptist has the spirit of Elijah. He is fulfilling this prophecy in Malachi through this man, John the Baptist. If you think about it, John the Baptist was the first prophet to break the silence. Think about it. John the Baptist is known as a prophet as well because he came like a prophet, speaking on behalf of God for the people. In fact, scholars think that the reason people came to see this man dressed in sackcloth and, and, and all, the, you know, all the things that we know about him, he, he wore, uh, he wore uh, sackcloth, he, wore, uh, he ate locusts, right? He... he uh, you know, he's kind of this mangy kind of guy is what the scripture describes him as. Well, all these people would go out to the wilderness to hear him preach and be baptized. Why? Because they were waiting to hear from God again. And it was like 
God is speaking again through a prophet again. Let us go and hear what God has to say. People were waiting. People were anxious to hear from God again in the ways they had of old. And here was this man speaking again like the prophets of old. And the Bible tells us that in droves, people would go and listen to this man and be baptized by him. It also says in Luke 1, 17, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. And he's talking about John the Baptist to turn the hearts of fathers to their children. So this is what the angel prophesied to, to uh, John the Baptist's parents. He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous and make ready for the Lord a prepared people. So you see, John the Baptist fulfilled this silence being broken. He fulfilled this promise of Malachi that peace would come because someone would come to, sh- to make way the, re- the, 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 the preparation of rescue that would come in the Messiah. And that was John the Baptist. That peace would come because John the Baptist would prepare hearts to receive the word from the promised Messiah, the one that came to rescue. So even when for 400 years no prophet spoke for God among the Jewish people, God was working to bring peace about for the people. And the Jewish people had come to a place of understanding the peace they needed. And and what happened is what all the things that took place in those 400 years led them to this place of of perfection, of, of being ready to hear it and to receive it. Galatians 4 says this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those, to rescue those who were under the law so they might receive adoptions as son. You see, Jesus came at the very perfect time in God's ways and God's will. Jesus came because everything, the, the setting was perfect, the stage was set, For John to come to prepare the way for Jesus and for Jesus to come and initiate rescue. Isn't that beautiful? Now let me tell you what happened in those 400 years in the most abbreviated version of it as possible. You may want to study. It's fascinating on your own. But at the time uh, of Malachi and shortly after there, Persia was in control. They were ruling initially They were very unkind to the people of God, and that's why Malachi, uh, through God, is promising this peace to come. Persia had invaded Jerusalem and that area, and they were very um, heavy-handed in their rule, and they ruled for some time. Eventually, Greece came in, and they ruled from 331 B.C. to 164 B.C. And, and that happened because Alexander the Great came and conquered Persia and, and, and infiltrated the world, in particular this area. It was, in fact, Greek culture was pervasive even in the time of Jesus because the people spoke Greek. You'll remember that there was the Septuagint. It was the Greek uh, 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 translation of the Hebrew text of Scripture. But the Greek philosophies invaded the Jewish culture and their thought as well and remained until Jesus came. After that, nearly 100 years of independence restored hope for the people of Israel, for the Jewish people, only to be ruled by Rome for another uh, period of time from 63 B.C. 
all the way up until 135 AD. During all that time, factions of Judaism formed also and became corrupt. And we read about them in the, the, the Gospels as we read about Jesus and what he did to confront the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin and the scribes. Every single one of them believed in a nuanced way their Judaism, but it was all legalistic. It was all corrupted. They expected other people to follow all the rules, but they got a pass. And so Judaism had its own factions and it formed the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, and a group that, which was a group of elite Jewish rulers who judged over everyone using the law. They rose into the power and so did the scribes who also intended to ensure everyone followed the law and Hebrew scriptures to the nth degree depending upon their religious pursuit of that but also giving themselves a pass. You see, conflict and strife plagued the 400 years that the people of Israel faced, that the Jewish people faced as they were awaiting a Messiah, awaiting someone to give them hope, awaiting someone to rescue them. Isn't it amazing that in this, uh, this specific place of the world, Greece came and brought its Greek philosophies Rome came and brought its structure and roads and, and all this, uh, uh, um, the, the structure and the, the infrastructure to, to, to invade the rest of the world. It all came to this one place. And the pe these people of God were inundated with not only philosophies from different uh, ruling people and ruling factions over them, but even their own people were corrupted. And the true folks who were awaiting the Messiah awaited and waited and waited for 400 years, never seeming like God would answer them, never seeming like God was there. But they kept hope in the midst of all that. And we see that when Jesus was born, as Galatians 4.4 says, it was in the fullness of time. Friends, what strife invades your life today you can find peace as well if they can find peace in all that they had facing them then you and I can find peace too because of the risen Messiah the risen Savior the one not just who was going to rescue but the one who did and gave us hope to hold on to to cling to you and I find peace in Jesus. The second thing we see is because of God's rescue plan, even when all seems quiet, we can look forward to salvation. We see this in this beautiful story of a man named Simeon who had waited his entire life for the coming salvation. And when he sees Jesus, the Holy Spirit prompts him to say, he's here. Salvation is is here. Look at what it says, Luke 2, 25 through 35. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, Israel's salvation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. 
Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You've prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. His father and mother were amazed. Can you imagine being uh, Joseph and Mary and like some dude just comes up and grabs your baby? I know that was a really serious moment just a minute ago, but it's just like in my mind, that's all I'm thinking. Of course they were amazed, but they were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed him and told his mother Mary, indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed and a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So you see, we see that the silence is broken. Simeon, his whole life, was waiting for salvation in Israel, for Israel. And when he saw Jesus, he knew, he knew rescue had come. He knew that God was true to his promise and that he had answered the promise and answered the, 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 the reminder that he said, you won't die until you get to see the Messiah that I've promised for, over, uh, for all this time, but for these 400 years. Simeon knew that rescue had come, and he trusted even in the silence and rejoiced to see his prayers answered. Dear friends, trust in the Lord. He answers prayers today. He brings rescue today to those who wait in him. The final thing that we see in this picture of Simeon, as we see, because of God's rescue plan, even while we wait, we know one day we can see God's glory face to face. As Simeon hoped for the coming glory, we too hope for Jesus' return. And we know that even though the coming rescue is not here yet, it will come. It will come. Friends, Jesus is coming again to rescue us once and for all, and we will receive the greatest reward, and we will receive him as Simeon broke out in a song when Jesus, uh, when he held Jesus in his arms. We will sing because we will see him face to face. We will behold him. We will see Jesus face to face. We have that hope. We have that assurance. If we have been brought from death to life in Jesus Christ, we have the assurance of knowing that we too will see Jesus face to face in glory. But if we do not know of the rescue of Jesus, and if we do not hope in the rescue of Jesus, but hope in any other thing, our destiny is quite different. And so my prayer today is that Jesus can rescue you too. And he can bring salvation to you. And what you can do 
to receive that is to believe in him, to trust him, to call out to him. The Bible says, Romans 10, 9, 10, and verse 13, that if anyone believes in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus is the Lord, you will be saved. In verse 13 it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, will be rescued. Your sins forgiven, your sins washed away, salvation brought unto you, placed on you. Those of us who are in this room that know Jesus Christ as Savior, I pray, this is my heart, I pray it's all of our hearts. I'm not here, I'm not preaching to you because I think that I'm holier or righteous. I'm one beggar, a man in need of salvation, a man in need of rescue, who found bread. And friends, what I wanted to show you and, and tell you and why I do this is that you can find it too. Let me just point you in the way. Today, you can find rescue too. I'm not a perfect man. I failed time and time again. I'll fail again today, I assure you. My hope is not in my righteousness or unrighteousness. Thank God. Because as Paul said, and I echo my righteousness as, as filthy rags, as worthless. I'm counting on the righteousness of Christ. And I pray that you would too. I pray that you would, that you would count on the, on the righteousness of Jesus brought to you by the cross, the death, the burial. But friends, and we'll, we'll celebrate this next week, the resurrection. But if you're hoping in anything else, it's worthless. And I urge you, look to Christ. Call on his name, and he will rescue you. We're going to take just a moment. This moment is meant to respond to what has been preached today, to the word that God has put on our hearts to deliver to you the message of rescue, of reconciliation in Christ. And this is not just one of those moments that's intended just for people who don't know Jesus to respond, walk an aisle, get, get saved. And man, that would be awesome. I pray the Lord brings someone to faith in him today. I pray that he'll help you to trust not in your own righteousness, but in his righteousness. I pray, I pray. That's why we're here. But if we all walk out and think, well, that was, you know, it's good. Well, I'm saved and I'm good. I got my get out of hell free card. I'm good. We've missed it. We too need to hope again and again and again in the rescue of Christ. And again in the coming rescue where Jesus comes again and we get to see him face to face. So I pray in this moment as we sing a song in just a moment that you would respond. Whether you need to be saved today, rescued, rescued from the grips of hell, or whether you just need to remind yourself of what Jesus already did at your rescue. I pray you would respond today in him, however he's called you to do that. I urge you, I plead with you, as one beggar who found some bread, I pray you would find it too. Let's pray, and God, I pray with the work in our hearts and lives. Jesus, we need your rescue. Some of us need it initially to begin with, and some of us need it to sustain us. 
to help us to have hope and peace that we've talked about today, to know that the coming peace is coming because you instituted it. We can trust you just as Simeon did. And I pray, I'm just, I can't wait to say a salvation. I've seen it with my own eyes one of these days. Would you work? Would you change hearts? Would you change lives? Would you bring someone to you today? Or would you renew someone today in their walk with you as well? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? And as you stand, I pray that God would speak to your heart and that you would follow through what he's called you to do.